0: Hey everyone, before we begin with another episode of the YM Transfer podcast, I want to just take a moment to share with you a little bit about MYMU. It's our membership site at MarathonYouthMinistry.com where we have resources, online courses, and cohorts to help you as a ministry leader grow. Uh, We know that sometimes uh, figuring out how to you know tackle ministry whether you're in a pandemic or just uh, getting ready for the fall can be so difficult and so when you sign up for Marathon Youth Ministries membership site uh, we plug you into something called a cohort which is a group of other like-minded parish leaders who are looking to grow as well where you can share ideas where you can learn a little bit more about some of the basic fundamental principles to creating a healthy striving ministry and uh, and all sorts of other resources that we keep on adding there. We have courses on building a dynamic team of volunteers and small groups from scratch and, and rebuilding your confirmation program. And again, uh, we're continually growing. So to get started, all you got to do is go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com backslash mymu. and for $35 dollars a month or 385 a year, we will walk with you to help you grow. So that you can help others grow to get to know Christ. Check it out. All right, everybody. Today's wonderful guest is the author, speaker, podcaster, mom... Uh, so many ways to describe her, the wonderful Lindsay Schlegel. And Lindsay is a fellow Ave Maria um, author and uh, I'll explain a little bit more about how we connected in the episode. But what I love about this conversation is how we uh, just talk about writing and the creative process. And uh, Lindsay shares with us a little bit about the uh, balance of family life and, and professional life and vocation and how that's so key and so important. And whether you're a writer or creative or just looking to get more creative, uh, this is definitely uh, a, a, an episode and a person that you need to check out. So get those pens, get those notebooks ready. Without further ado, here's Lindsay Schlegel. Lindsay welcome to the YM transfer podcast how are you doing
1: I am good thanks for having me
0: I am really looking forward to this conversation considering that we've really only talked one and a half times before this and yep. now we're gonna have like this in-depth conversation but um, you know for those of you who are listening and, and you know um, I, I know I didn't really mention this in the, in the intro but Lindsay and I met at a Ave Maria press happy hour. And one thing that um, most of, uh, and it was a virtual happy hour, because uh, when we are recording this, we were in quarantine. And I don't know when people are listening to this, if we're out, if we're free, if we're you're listening to this on your drive to work or whatever. But, you know, it's like one of those things where um, I just threw out kind of a request of need for help on certain parent and DRE resources. And Lindsay reached out. We had a conversation. And quickly, what I love is that we found so much in common, not just because we're both from Jersey, but... Lindsay's current parish uh, pastor was the associate pastor when I grew up in my small church in St. Catherine or Siena in Mountain Lakes. And that I believe it was your sister attends the church of my best friend from high school, Father Oma Lane, yeah, in Boonton. So uh, yeah, so immediately just enough connection for us to talk. And then also our love for writing, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. this is going to be interesting because we've had one and a half conversations and now we're, we're going to just dive into this. And one of the reasons, Lindsay, I wanted to bring you on uh, the show was just, uh, one, I love your writing, uh, the, the little that I have explored of it. I uh, love your writing. I love your thought process. I love how you're approaching parenting and all these different things. And we're going to explore those different things. But why don't you do a better job of introducing yourself than I just did for you and tell a little bit about who you are and a little bit of your story.
1: Sure. So first and foremost, I am a daughter of bad. I'm a wife. I've been married to my high school sweetheart-turned-husband for 10 and a half years, something like that. We've been together for almost half of our lives. Um, and currently I'm pregnant, but maybe by the time this airs, I won't be pregnant anymore. That'd be cool. Um, we have three boys and a girl running around in our house right now, and one saint waiting for us, God willing, in heaven. I am also an author, a writer, an editor, a speaker when we used to go places, and a podcast host. So I host a podcast called Quote Me, where we talk about a quote that my guest has found inspiring um, along his or her faith journey.
0: Now, just in that intro alone, there is just a lot to unpack, right? Um, But uh, I want to go back to one of the first things you said, which is uh, talking about um, you you and your husband being high school sweethearts. And and I know that there's that story on your blog in it, um, about how you guys went to college together and uh, he proposed to you at the Boston Marathon and, and being a runner. I, I love that and everything. But, um, you know, did you ever, like, see yourself as being a writer and an author when you were younger? When when you look back to teenage Lindsay, um, growing up in Jersey, like, what did you know where God was gonna call you or um, what he was gonna call you to do?
1: No, and I also don't think I thought about it that way. There was a lot of do, um, be who you wanna be and all your dreams can come true. Um, And school was, um, I was pretty good at school stuff. I wasn't very good at athletic stuff, but um, my grades were always pretty good. So I did have the feeling that any, I I had a lot of possibilities. I, I had a lot of opportunity for what I would want to do, it was not a question of if I would go to college, but where. Um, The idea of being a writer, I think it was something that I dreamed of and I thought would be cool, but I didn't think I'd actually do it. I also didn't realize that I would meet the guy I'd marry when I was 17. I had, you know, dreams of wanting to get married and have kids, but even when my friends were talking about what colors they'd have at their weddings or what their song would be or something like that, the things that... um, younger girls sometimes dream about I always felt like I couldn't really determine those things because it would depend on the guy how could I determine when I was gonna get married if I didn't know when I was gonna meet him and then I met him when I was 17 and we got married when we were 23 so that was definitely not something that I expected we knew um, pretty early on in our relationship that we wanted to be together um, but we started dating in high school and we wanted to finish college first um, we I mean, knew we wanted to have kids, but we didn't know what that would look like. I mean, how much can a 20 year old really know about what that's going to be like? Um, so a lot of, I think my ideas of what I wanted to do as a job or how much of a job I would have, cause I knew I wanted to be home with the kids. We both wanted that evolved as I was still kind of learning who I was as an adult, I didn't have that, t- that time of being single that I think most people do Um, so my ideas kind of evolved with him but at the same time christ has always been the center of our relationship because we did meet a youth group so we went on retreats together and we helped um prepare other students for confirmation and things like that together so we always had our faith at the center of our relationship so it was never just about us it was always about us with god in the picture and what he was calling us to do So my freshman year of college, I guess after my freshman year of college, I started working at a bookstore and I realized how much I loved that. That was also kind of a dream. I didn't realize people actually got to do, Um, but I realized I wanted to get closer and closer to the book. I wanted to get to the process of creating it. And I had a couple of internships in college that were publicity and marketing, but I still wanted to get closer and closer to editing the books um, and to seeing how they were made, to deciding which ones were going to pass through all the gates of. You know, the, the acquisitions meetings and things like that. And step by step, it just one thing led to the next. And I ended up working in Simon & Schuster and children's books, which was amazing. And I still really wanted to be writing my own, but I didn't really have time or know how to do that. And after I had my, after we had my our oldest son, I left Simon & Schuster and started to freelance edit and then started to write more and more. Um, but even the book I wrote was not the book I expected to. I wanted to be in the mainstream. I wanna write, I still wanna write a novel and have it published in some mainstream forum and have the Catholic sensibility of who I am be a part of that story without it being an explicitly Catholic book.
0: Mm. So yeah, again, more to unpack there, but uh, let's, let's go back to the, um the bookstore and and just writing um well actually before that would you have considered yourself a writer or a reader in in high school or college like was that something you enjoyed doing or was it something that you had to do and just along the line you you came across books that you enjoyed
1: during high school and college i didn't really read for fun because i felt like i needed to do work all the time which mm-hmm. now i really wish i'd had some realization that that was ridiculous. I would watch TV, I would watch movies and use that as leisure time. But for some reason I thought if I was reading it needed to be academic which was totally silly. Um, If I could go back and tell teenage Lindsay something, I'd say, stop that,
0: (laughs) put that that down and get a book. I I found that I've gone back and read books that I was assigned in high school, now as an adult. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed that in To Kill a Mockingbird or into, you know, like.
1: I didn't even read To Kill a Mockingbird in school. I read it myself like eight years ago because I realized there were things that were just missing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, in high school and college, second semester of senior year, I finally took a creative writing class. Mm-hmm. Even though it was something I dreamed of and thought it was cool, I I just didn't see it being a reality. I'm not, I, I didn't know what my reality was, but I just didn't think that was it. And in both of those four-year experiences, I basically waited right until the buzzer and then loved it and then put it on the back burner again.
0: Mm-hmm. So you went on this, you, you fell in love with, with the book and be, like anything we fall in love with, right. We want to explore it more. And so you explored how it's, cre- I love how you said, like, how it was created, how it was put together and things like that. Um, you know, what, what were, uh, do you, was there like a moment or a person, um, you know, at the bookstore that kind of like sparked that, um, it, was there a specific moment?
1: I think it was probably more my senior year of college in the um, the creative writing class I took. The author was, or I'm sorry, the professor was a published author. And so it was a workshop. So we'd write and we would uh, critique other people's work. And she told me, I don't know, in comments or in office hours or something, you've got an editorial eye. You, you're, you're asking the right questions because that's really what an editor does, she asks. The right questions. You don't have to have all the answers. And thank goodness, (laughs) because I don't most of the time. But if you can see where something isn't quite clicking and you can articulate, this is not right. This character doesn't feel like she's developing in a realistic way. This emotional trajectory doesn't feel natural to the person who is in the situation. This plot doesn't make sense here. This setting, I can't see it. I want to see it and feel it. Those things that you can point out and you can ask those questions. She saw that I could do that. And to have someone say to me, I see this in you. and then she actually uh, helped me get an interview with a job I didn't get, but she believed in me enough to give me another step. And I think I didn't know or wasn't willing to see that in myself. And the fact that she did convinced me that I could do it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when we have people who, who see things that we don't uh, see. Um, had have, have there, have there been other people in your life uh, before her or that ha- had done similar things or that had seen things in you that you weren't necessarily seeing?
1: I mean, I think teachers let me know that I I could write relatively well, I could get my assignments done, Um, but not necessarily in that writing place because I wasn't writing a lot and what I was writing, I wasn't sharing. And that was, I think a big step toward the book becoming a possibility was that when I was pregnant with my oldest child, I started writing a blog. Um, But for the first 10 or 20 posts, I didn't tell anyone about it because I just wanted to see if I could do it. Can I write something consistently can I make myself do this on a, rel- on a regular basis and put it out there and not freak out? <laughs> Can I do that? And that blog didn't really gain any traction. People, apart from my family and friends, don't really know it exists, although the archives are all on my website. But it, in doing that, I showed myself that I could do it and that I liked doing it and that it, it brought me joy. And I think anything that we're doing, if we're looking for a vocation, if we're discerning what God's asking of us, the, the living out that vocation is not always going to be happy and all rainbows and sunshine. But if it brings you some kind of deep joy, then I think, you know, you're on the right track.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we, we talked about that, I think, in our last conversation is just the, the fact that, uh, you know, your vocation when when God's joy, when that joy just uh, radiates from it and emerges from that and you know, it, it's, it's awesome to hear your story because I think there's so many of us who, right, we go through the motions, high school, college, we get a job. And we ignore maybe that little burning desire to, to, to not do something more, but that little burning desire to connect with what God's calling us to do. Right. Right. And, um, and there's a little bit of fear or risk with that. Um, as you were you know going down this path of of edit, editing and writing was there any fear that maybe that i don't know this wasn't a real job or a real path that this was kind of like a, a cop out from taking responsibility
1: not really i think um for one i mean when i by the time i graduated college i was engaged so i had a pretty good idea of what um what what my life kind of personally was going to look like i knew who i was going to be with we knew we were going to be in manhattan cuz john already had a job there um, there was some stability to that anyway um i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not no, sure got all the way
0: that's all right that's all right that's all right you know it, it's interesting too because um you, you know part of the reason i ask that is um because sometimes we fall into that trap right like how can i really enjoy something that's like responsible or, you know, fruitful, right. It's like, you know, if I, especially when it comes to something a little bit more artistic, right. If, you know, if I love writing so much, like that's a great hobby, but is it a career? Right. Or if I love baking, you know, that's a great hobby, but is that a career? And it's almost kind of like people who make that leap and say, no, you know, your passion, you know, if it's God's vocation, if it's God's calling for your life, he's going to provide. And there's trust in that. And, uh, And sometimes it's hard for us to make that jump. You know,
1: I think I had the reverse of that because since we knew we wanted to get married relatively soon after we got married, maybe 18 months after we got engaged, something like that. And we hoped that we would have children relatively soon after that. I didn't think I knew I wanted to do more. I loved my work, but I also knew I knew that for both of us, we'd always talked about me being with the kids and I didn't see how that was going to continue how could i work in a job in manhattan we figured once we had kids we'd come back home to new jersey and we didn't we stayed in new york for um two two and a half years before we moved back to new jersey but you don't make a whole lot publishing and really if we had had a nanny we would have lost money on me working um so it wasn't the idea of building a career like that it almost felt like not that it had to end, but if it was going, we we said, okay, I'll do freelance from home, and that was the entire plan. Freelance, that was that was it. We, I had no idea how you do that, um, and I didn't know how. I didn't think about work-life balance or how much of this am I going to do, how much is God calling me to, where will this take me? I just knew that I kind of wanted to keep doing it. I didn't want to stop altogether, with the hope that when all of our kids were grown, I would have something that I could go back to and keep doing. That was the very loose plan, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know if I could write something and get it published online, even an article. I didn't know if even editing freelance was going to happen. If people would trust me with their work, if they would pay me for it, how much do I charge them? Uh, There was a lot to figure out and some times were easier than others, Um, but we did have the stability of my husband's job. He works in finance, so making a lot more than me right off the bat, because publishing is not a lucrative way to live your life.
0: No, I loved
1: it. it and I had the, yeah. the stability that I, I could see where it would take me without the pressure of, are we going to eat?
0: Yeah. W- was that a harsh reality that um, publishing wasn't a lucrative career? I mean, even with, with your husband um, husband's career and everything like that, was that uh, I, think I, spent,
1: I think if I had spent more time on my own, if I were trying to rent an apartment in the city, then I think it would have been a much harder thing. But we still joke about like, are you kidding me? Or, you know, he gets his bonus at the end of the year. And a couple times a year at Simon & Shoes, they say, you can pick five books and you can have them <laughs> John, well, look what i get to do and he's like i'm so glad that makes you happy
0: nothing's more humbling than that, in that first royalty uh, check that you receive and you're like wait what like yeah. how how does stephen king how do like these like great authors like make it work and it is part of what you said the the the, the community and platform that you build around that right and it's 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 not just the book itself but what radiates from that and And the truly good and great writers are able to kind of amplify that voice and and build on that, right? And and create that kind of community. Um, And you
1: have to know why you're doing it. Are you doing it to make money? And in publishing, I mean, when you're at an interview for a job in publishing, they say, you know, this is going to be challenging financially, right? You say, yes, I do. Please give me the overtime work to do that I won't get paid extra for. You work all day and then you bring manuscripts home at night and you mm. read them. Or if you, mm. need to, if you need to actually edit something, you don't have time in the office. You have to do that at home.
0: Right, right.
1: But you it, do it because you love it. And that means the people that you work with are passionate and hilarious and smart and funny. Um, I just said hilarious and funny, but it's true. Um, and I just had a great time there because there were just people who were so invested in their work and in, in, in my situation, making great books for children.
0: See, the reason I ask those questions and, and I'm loving this conversation is because, you know, a lot of my clients are in youth ministry or parish work and everything. And it's, it's one of those things where no one gets into ministry for the money. Right. Um, you know, and and, uh, and and so you get into it because of a passion. And if that passion is really there, sometimes you take your work home because you're just so excited to work more. You're in love with the people. You're in love with what you do but there's somewhere along the line where we lose that passion. And, and you know, and I know this as, as a writer too, that there are times where writing has just kind of flowed th- from me, right? Like it's effortless. And then, you know, uh, other times it's, you know, that uh, cliche of writer's block, but it, sometimes I think it's even more than writer's block, right? Where it just, you like hate it, you know? You hate yeah. it, but you love it at the same time.
1: You can write, but the things that are coming out of you are miserable.
0: Just not acceptable. Yeah. Other people might read it and say like, Lindsay, this is so wonderful and lovely, but you're just like, no, this is crap. And you threw, you threw but I think away. a lot of
1: times too, when those, when the parts that do flow out of you, I think a lot of times those are inspired by the Holy spirit and people feel that, you know, and mm-hmm. I tell the authors that I edit, if you, they, you know, I'll, I'll get a revision from someone and they'll say, I had so much fun doing this. Like, that's exactly what I want to hear. Cause if you had fun writing it, someone else is going to have fun reading it. If you slogged through it, then it's probably going to feel like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, tell me a little bit about um, you know your 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 uh, journey from you know uh, you know working uh, as a freelance writer and then uh, being involved because uh, currently I guess you're serving as editor at large at Land Books. Um, tell me a little bit about that transition. Is that influenced by parenthood or um, just uh, um, what other influences have led you along that path?
1: So I kind of. I want to say, accidentally um, ended up in children's books. I think when I worked at the bookstore, it was a Borders. Um, I was the youngest person on staff, so they put me in the children's department because you have to clean up the books at the end of the day, and I would not complain about it like everyone else did. 99% sure that's why they did that. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing, joyful kind of a person that, yeah, let Lindsay go. You know the books. You're a parent. You know the books that have the text here and then the thing with all the buttons? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They don't
1: fit on shelves.
0: No but every night it was
1: my job to put them back on the dang shelf. Um, So from there, I ended up, uh, some of the internships I had were in children's books because that's what was available. And um, I kept ending up in children's books, Not not in each position I had, but most of them ended up in children's books. So then I had experience with children's books. So I got another position in children's books, which I enjoyed, but I wouldn't have said when I started looking into publishing, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do adult mainstream fiction. Um, so finding my way there, that's just, that's what my resume turned into, not because I was consciously looking for it, but because that's the experience I had. That was the next thing I could get. So I found Little Lamb on a freelance job board and I did a review of a manuscript for them. They wanted a, a reader's response. Uh, should we, should we acquire this book or not? What are its strengths and weaknesses? What will it take to get it to a publishable state? So I did that. And a little while later, the publisher came back to me and said, we liked your work. Um, we have some more work. Would you like to do that? And little by little, I ended up taking on more and more. Um, so we do picture books, middle grade novels and young adult novels. Um, and it's fabulous. I mean, the publishers in Texas, I've been working with her for a couple of years. We still haven't met in person. The internet's amazing. Um, so it just, it, it, one thing just led to the next that got me here.
0: Yeah, no, the, 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 that's cool um, because, again, this goes back to something we were saying earlier where, you know, you start, I mean, yes, there's this class in college, um, you work to the bookstore and there's just this desire, you know, the Holy Spirit leading you to want to learn more and explore it more and, and peel back the layers and see how this thing works. And it, of course, leads you into, um, you know, uh, uh, working with children's books. But, you know, at the same time, I keep hearing like this, I want to do adult, you know, mainstream fiction, right? And, and even the book that you've published, right? It, it's a great book. And, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment. But there's this, like, there's this almost desire to enter into a world you have not yet enter, entered into. So my question is, like, why do you think that is?
1: I think I love reading fiction so much that mm-hmm. I want to be part of. The world of that, um, but when I wrote this book, that's nonfiction, adult Catholic parenting. That was the kind of stuff I was reading at the time, and that was the message that the Holy Spirit put in my heart. Um, I wrote a large part of it when I had pneumonia in July. Thanks, Vacation Bible School. Um, I was sick for like two. I was in bed for two weeks. I couldn't. It was miserable. It was the sickest. Oh I've man, been.
0: yeah, I bet. Um,
1: but I had a lot of time to write a proposal. <laughs> and a few months later, I had a book contract. So I think it depends a lot. What we're going to write depends a lot on what we're going to, what we're reading. And right now I have young kids and I spe- I do spend a lot of time with children's books. So it is a good fit because I'm the mom reading the children's books, but I'm also the editor helping to create them. And I think with that book too, with my book, I was reading those books. I wanted to know how my faith and parenting um, and who I was in, as an adult in the faith, all, how all those pieces fit together. So my brain was already there and, and those pieces kind of fit together. Um, and I did, write, I did write a novel um, and it went out for two rounds of submissions, got close a couple of times, um, might have some interest from somewhere now, but we don't have a contract yet. So maybe that will happen. Over the last couple of years, I found a couple of websites that do Catholic fiction. And I've published with them, so I've had short stories published in a couple of places. So maybe this is just pieces on the journey. Um, she doesn't write explicitly Catholic literature, but Anne Pachette, um she wrote *Bel Canto*. She's written a number of other fabulous books. I listen to her audiobooks when I run, but she also has a collection of nonfiction essays, um, and I guess stories you would say, called uh, something about a happy marriage. And reading that, um, her perspective on on how writing nonfiction and fiction work together and how it was important for her to be doing both at the same time gave me permission to do that too. Mm. If I want to write fiction, it's okay to do this at the same time. And I think editing and writing, I think of them as cross training, right? Like if you just run all the time, you're going to hurt your hips, you're going to hurt your knees because you're not doing that lateral movement. You're only propelling yourself forward. And I think with writing for me too, the editing and the writing work off of each other. So I can give editorial notes that I know as a writer, I would want to hear it in that tone. And I would be able to make something of it like that.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen that with, with with me with blogging and creative writing. Um, you know, and, and actually, uh, for me, I, I like to write a lot of humor. Um, one of the quarantine projects I've been working on is, um, you know, I love baking. And um, I created a sourdough starter with a, a name, Bula Bula. And people were fascinated by it, so that now I've I've been working on a uh, pseudo children's book on the story of Bula Bula, the pet that you know you, feeds you and, and um, the pet you you feed and, and, and eat at the same time. That's not the working title at all, but uh, you know basically, um, and you know it might never make it to the main, you know, whatever web, webisphere that's out there. But, um, I just know like the creative writing aspect of like thinking outside the box and and developing a character has helped me with some of my other writing and then blogging. I I would say blogging for me has been that regular regimen of, um, like working out, but you know, with writing and that when I get to other things, whether it's, um, um, deeper content or a book um, or, or things like that, that's, that's like when I hit the marathon uh, path in that regards. And I, and, and I agree, like, yeah, writing is kind of like working out, but then the different types of writing is all the cross-training to help you just uh, develop it even fuller. Um, what do you think is like one of the biggest challenges to go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction writing?
1: Probably the scope of what I write because most of the nonfiction I'm writing right now are articles online. So maybe that's 500 to 800 words. It's a blog post here. It's a, you know, an interview with someone here. Um, But if I'm writing a short story, it's probably three or 4,000 words and um, I have another novel that I'm working on and that's, I don't know, going to be 70, 80,000 words. So there's a very different scope and how long you're going to take, to get to your point, but every, every sentence still needs to matter along the way. But it's a different, um, it's a different idea of how you're going to approach it. Um, I'm in a writer's group. Uh, it's online now. It used to be in person when I lived in Brooklyn. Um, another woman and I kept going to the same coffee shop um, every Saturday morning at the same time and writing. Um, and we were both coincidentally pregnant at the same time. Then we found out that we each had one older son who had the same birthday and the same food allergies. So that was weird. Um, And she invited me into her writer's group. They had an opening. So I joined her group. And when I moved to New Jersey, I started doing it online. Now we all do it online. Um, And it's interesting when we see a piece of someone's, uh, something new that someone's working on, will ask, is this a short story or is this a novel? And what does it feel like? And sometimes someone thinks she started something. I started a short story once and they said, this is so much bigger. You have so much more of a story to tell. This is a novel, not a short story. So it's always it's always moving. The same thing is, do you write an article about this nonfiction idea you have or do you turn it into a book proposal?
0: Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely interesting where you know, and I can relate to your story where you have these intentions of writing one thing and then all of a sudden something else emerges from it. Um, in fact, my my first book, Rebuilding Youth Ministry, um, was had a totally different title, totally different intention. And, you know, through the influence of um, people around in my life, they said, no, 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 this is the book that you need to write. And it's, it's actually kind of funny because I remember there being a little bit of resentment towards um, writing this book and it's not because I didn't enjoy writing it, but so much that letting go of this other like idea that I, was, I felt more passionate about. And it wasn't like, as much as I did enjoy writing my first book, it was my second book that I loved even more because once I had done it, right. It's like that matter of I've written a book. Now I was kind of like, okay, now I know what to expect. And, and there's a little bit more freedom with that. Yeah. Um, but like what I love about, um, and I want to go to your, your, um, your writer's group. Um, you know, th- that's another thing that we forget about is no matter what kind of um, arena that we're working in or, or find ourselves in, it's so important to have that community and to, to welcome people in to, to speak truth and wisdom into our lives, to give us advice, um, you know, and, and everything like that. Um, was that uh, was that easy uh, for you to jump into a writer's group? Was it just something where you knew that that was something important for a writer to have? or was there a little bit of friction, you know, um, those first couple of meetings?
1: So I, I knew it was important. I actually started one with another friend from college uh, right after we graduated because that same uh, professor who told me, you can go do this editing thing. She told us about, this is what you do next. Now, when this class is over, this is what you do next. You go find a writer's group um, and here's where to look for them and here's the really important thing. And the really important thing is, is everyone in your group equally committed? Is everyone going to show up every time you meet is everyone going to respond with whatever you've determined is uh, appropriate written notes or verbal notes or a combination thereof. Is everyone willing to do that um, in my writers group. We've had nonfiction fiction young adult. Um, I think I brought a picture book once because they were all moms. Um, narrative essays. Um, I'm the only Catholic in the group. Other people are Jewish or not practicing anything and we are of many different backgrounds. Um, For a while, we had someone who grew up in South Africa, uh, someone else who grew up 20 minutes from me, but someone else who grew up in New Hampshire, you know, all over we're all coming from all over and different life experiences, and different goals for our writing, and different educational backgrounds. But we are all equally committed Mm. to what we want to do. And I think, in that I think what you were saying before about getting feedback, can you trust the feedback that you're getting? Can you surrender to it? Can you accept when someone says to you, Chris, this is, it's not this book, maybe this book later, but this is the one we need from you right now. I can see this book in you. Um, Are you willing to accept that? Um, And I think that's the way if we're open, if we have our hearts open, that's the way God speaks to us a lot of times. And we totally have the option to say, no, I'm going to do mine instead. Um, But being able in writing as much as in life, being able to see when someone's giving you advice that's sound and when it's, not what you're called to, that discernment is super important, and it can be really hard to do when you get feedback from someone, maybe someone you trust, but doesn't know what you're working on. You know, I've had some people close, you know, they tell you not to have your family or your friends read your writing, you should have someone else. And there was a time where someone super close to me asked, offered, asked to read my writing, and I thought he just wanted to read it out of curiosity, and then he gave me editorial feedback on it, um, which through the grace of God, I could just kind of giggle through. And by the end he was like, you didn't want me to edit that. Did you? And I was like, no, I did not.
0: <laughs> that, that is hard when, when people, right. will will comment on something that you're not prepared for them to comment on. Right. Like, um, it, if it probably would have been a whole different conversation if he had said ahead of time, like, Hey, do you mind if I edit this? Right. But like the fact that he kind of critiques your, and that's the other thing too, um, you know, that I learned through the writing process is how personal, right? Like it's almost like a child yeah. where you're creating this thing and there's so much of you wrapped up into it and then all of a sudden you're giving it over to people to critique, to shape, to comment on. And when it's your editor, you know, that you know that's the purpose, right? And so you're ready for his or her comments. But when it's, yeah, family or friends, um, you know, I, like I, I, I was fortunate because as I mentioned before, my grammar has always just been horrendous. And so my father-in-law, um, uh, who's a, a former uh, high school principal and, and, and you know, um, and uh, critiqued writing for years as a teacher and everything like that, I, I gave it over to him and I just said like, just critique the, just critique the grammar, but don't comment on the content, please. And it, he was actually pretty good about that. Um, but there really wasn't anyone else personal or close that was able to look at my writing. It had to be other objective uh, um, sources or people I knew um, who were gonna give me uh, content in the uh, feedback in the way that I was ready to receive that. Um,
1: And in that way, I think it is really a gift that this book that I've published is, I mean, it says CatholicMom.com on the front of it, is explicitly a Catholic book. And I know that my whole goal is for God's glory and not mine and if it were that mainstream fiction novel that i want to write um i would want it to be for god's glory but it would be a lot easier to get lost in that and have it be Lindsay's voice and Lindsay's story whereas this is this is god this is god saying i am your father and you are my child and i love you and the whole point of the book is that whoever reads it catholic or not mom or not understands that message
0: yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's jump into the book a little bit. And, and the book that, uh, you know, we're uh, referring to, again, is, uh, you know, um, say uh, Don't Forget to Say Thank You and Other Parenting Lessons That Brought Me Closer to God. And, and, I mean, you know, when I looked at it initially, I was like, okay, this is a parenting book. But as I started reading it, it's like, this isn't a parenting book at all. Um, I mean, it, it, it's applicable to everyone, right? It, it's a parenting book, not in the sense of like how I can be a better parent,
1: Right. I'm not going to tell you whether or not to sleep train your kid.
0: Right. Right. Which that's a whole nother thing, right? Like uh, I
1: don't want to be involved in that at all. If there's (laughs) a, if
0: if there's, yeah, if there's an area of of life where, you know, I struggle with the most, it's, it's, you know, and this is not a critique to anyone in particular, but just parenting books, like uh, I can't tell you how many parenting books we've purchased that we've never read. Um, You know, and uh, I can tell you that I, you know, Anyway, that's a whole conversation for another time. But like picking this up, um, there, you know, I was reading it, and um, I just love how it's broken up into what ten lessons, right? 15. That or uh, fifteen, sorry, that things that we say as parents or do as parents, and it's not necessarily like how we can do them better as parents, but how God, like our Father, right, addresses those with us, and um, and uh, and so what I would love to know is. You know you, you mentioned your your home you had you were reading these other books but how did, how did that idea or that thought process come to fruition
1: so when my oldest boys were about four and two i heard them arguing about something like legos um which is super important when you're four and two i totally get that but my four-year-old responded to my younger one jacob the older one's jacob the younger one's henry and jacob said something to henry that was Like the kind of sarcastic tone of a, say, 28 year old woman, not the voice of a four year old boy. And it was a moment. I mean, we know that our kids are going to follow what we do. They're going to speak the way we speak. We know these things, but I saw it. I heard it in that moment. And I was like, oh gosh, he's, God, he's four. And I have already made some bad calls here. So how am I going to do this? You got to help me figure this out. I know I can't do this by myself. What in the world do you want me to do? Because he, already, I feel like I'm losing it. Um, And over time, um, I just got this feeling, this sense from the Holy Spirit, that the things that I was saying to the kids were the things I needed to hear. So I needed to be patient. I needed to stop whining, even down to I needed to eat a good dinner, and I needed to go to bed on time. Um, And I reconnected with God as my father, and with myself as his daughter in a way that I think I kind of had forgotten as I became an adult, and especially as I became a mom, especially when your kids are really little, there kind of is a somewhat necessary micromanaging of like, when you're going to eat, when did you go to the bathroom, when are you are going to sleep? <laughs> These things stop as they get older. Um, but there's, you can get lost in feeling that you are in control, and our culture tells us that we can and should be in control. So I was getting lost in that. I felt like there was so much pressure to do this parenting thing well, and... I didn't know how to do it and I was already messing it up and he wasn't even like a teen, like he hadn't even rolled his eyes at me yet. That came shortly after. That happens very young. (laughs) Turns out seven, not 13. Um, And I realized that if I started listening to all these things I could reconnect with God as my father. And a big part of that was a book that I read in college called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen. No surprise I have a kid named Henry, right? Um, It's a
0: great book. Great book, yeah.
1: The idea, if, if listeners have not read it, the idea is that the idea that I take out of it that I think is the most important is that the point of the conversion for the prodigal son is not the moment when he sees his father. It's not the moment when the father comes running to him. It's when the prodigal son decides to come home mm-hmm. when he, he calls it reclaiming his sonship. So I think I reclaimed my daughter um, I'm not sure which one is that.
0: That's um, all right. That's all right. Sounds good. So.
1: But I, I asked God to be my father again and I, I leaned on him and then I didn't have to do it all. And I realized that in the sacraments that we received in marriage in the, um, the promises we made at our children's baptisms, we are not supposed to be doing the whole parenting thing by ourselves. None of our vocation, any, whatever our vocation is, we're not supposed to be doing it by ourselves. But whatever, our, whatever our, our vocation is, that's how God's calling to us. So God was calling to me through motherhood and having these children. He was showing me who he was as a father by allowing me to be a mom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's huge. That's huge because, um, you know, with the control thing and, and I don't know where we get it from. I mean, I know it's influences from different areas, but this whole idea that I have to have my stuff together, right. That I have to be in control that therefore my kids have to be in control and, and all these things go into place and, and that's not the way that God necessarily parents us. Um, but yet we feel like we, you know, again, it's, it's that problem that we have, where we try to be more perfect than Jesus and, uh, and, um, and yeah,
1: Yeah. if you cut God out of the equation, our culture largely doesn't have God be part of it. Then whatever your success or your value is, if it doesn't hinge on you simply existing and you being loved just because you're here, then somehow you've got to earn it. Right. Because Mm -hmm. why else, how else would you get that? So I think our culture just missed the boat. When we cut God out of the picture, we forgot who we were. And if we don't know who he is, we can't know who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that more and more that my, my husband and I are, are raising our kids is as much about our journey of faith as it is about theirs. And I just didn't feel like enough people, I, I wasn't hearing that anywhere else, but I, it made a big difference in my parenting and also in my own relationship with God.
0: Why, why do you think we don't hear that enough? Cause I, I, you're not alone in that, right? Like I feel like it, it's the rare message we hear. So why do you think we don't hear that enough?
1: I think we've, in some ways, rightfully so, put our children so much at the fore of, of who we are and what we do, and we're supposed to give them the best of everything that we just somehow, I don't I don't know how it happened, but somehow we just stopped thinking about who we are as people and are we giving the best of ourselves? We have to keep taking care of ourselves and we have to keep forming ourselves. The stuff that I learned in CCD is not enough to give my kids they need more than that they're going to have questions that i didn't have and they're different people than i am and a lot of my faith i developed more and more as an adult when i was reading more books and going to mass more often going to mass daily instead of weekly um and learning how to say the rosary they're all things that we have to keep learning and we have to keep becoming and like if god were finished with us we wouldn't be here anymore Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: if there's still work to be done in us we need to keep doing that because that's the example we're setting for our kids.
0: But do you think that sometimes, you know, it's funny because you, you mentioned, and I can relate to this too, where my faith, I, I feel like took off in adulthood, right? It was that college, slightly post-college, um, you know, era, even though I grew up cradle Catholic, and um, you know, went to CCD, you know, all throughout and youth group kid and everything like that, but it wasn't really till college that it emerged yet for me, I'm trying to get, sometimes I feel like I'm trying to get my kids who are 10 and seven you know to where i was when i was 19 right yes. like i'm trying to get them there and and sometimes i look at the way that we do ministry and the way that the domestic church and and catechesis happens is that we're trying to make feel theolo- like saint augustine's you know at age 7 when really that doesn't happen until adulthood right uh, it, it, it's and almost we need to
1: plant the seeds and we need to let them know that these resources are there and and every kid is different too. I mean, you you know, right out of the gate, the kids are different. When mm-hmm. my, our second child was born and we were like, oh my gosh, he's a middle child and we haven't even had another one yet. <laughs> like they're so different. So you also need to be aware of what each kid needs.
0: Right. there's right. not
1: one way to do this because if we really know and believe that God made us each unique and unrepeatable, then every kid is gonna need something different. But we uh-huh. can also trust that God gave that kid to us as parents for his own reasons
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely it's not just us to be parents and and stewards of these young people and to evangelize them it's also God giving them to us to to shape and and help us continue to grow at the same time
1: right uh, if our kids see us just say everything is for you and and that's and that's it that's it's it all goes to you and there's nothing left for me then what is the joy of growing into an adult for them how will they find their vocation if it's if it's that much of a of a gift of self that you lose yourself which i've i've seen i've seen happen to friends when you the intention is in the right spot but if you don't have that relationship in the right spot and we've all i mean i've been guilty of it at different times as well too that you can give so much that you forget where you came from and you have to know who you are if you're going to keep going forward
0: definitely definitely um so you know kind of taking a little bit of a of a pivot here in the conversation because, uh, it's been something that's popped up a couple of times. And, um, and I know we were talking a little bit about this before I hit record, but you know, you've written this Catholic book, you, um, you are obviously involved in, in the Catholic world with writing and, um, and you've, but you've mentioned this, uh, like mainstream adult fiction like book and everything like that. And part of me wants to know, um, you know, but with Catholic undertones, uh, you know, or, or from a Catholic perspective, um, you know, why, like, um, I guess the question that I have is, is more so, see, um, I'm trying to articulate this right, but uh, I guess it, it, it's, it's more so like, um, why, why the desire to go into the mainstream world and, and not be content with just amplifying the Catholic world?
1: Well, I think I haven't thought of it as amplifying the Catholic world, but that is a great way to think about it. Um, Kind of not wanting to preach to the choir and not wanting to just share with people who are already with me, which I think, I think I'm starting to see more and more that there is still evangelization to be done even within a Catholic world. I still need to be evangelized to as well. I think we all need to encourage and inspire each other and just knowing that there's someone else kind of in the proverbial room that is on the same page as you and you're not totally nuts can be helpful. Um, but I've just, I mean, I, I, you turn on the TV to watch a movie and there's a story I want to see there, but there's other stuff I don't want to see in there. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to read a book and I like the character development, but there's some language and some things happening in there that I'm just, I don't feel like they're helping me. I feel like they're distracting me and I don't want those things. Um, and I've, I believe that in, I mean, in a story, there needs to be conflict and there's going to be sin. I understand that. Um, but too often it's gratuitous or it's for a shock value. Um, I love a good romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. rom coms are my jam. Um, but you can't watch one where people don't sleep together. And right. that's not what my i I'm, I'm certain that that doesn't happen for everybody. <laughs>
0: right, <laughs> no, right, really. right.
1: Um, so I want those stories to be told too. And I know there are other people who are hungry for those stories to be told too. Um,
0: and not necessarily have them fall under the Catholic umbrella, right? right? Cause I mean, that's kind of the things sometimes like are in the Christian or Catholic umbrella get dismissed.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, one of the best compliments I ever got on my writing was, uh, in this novel that I, that I've written, um, it's basically a rom-com. Um, there's a lot of food. You would have liked it. Um, and one of the girls in my writer's group, one of the women, women in my writer's group said, you know, the main character is Catholic, but she's relatable. And she was shocked. Um, <laughs> and uh, turns out the character is basically me. So it was, mm. that's what I want is, you know, if, if I can see voices, so many other voices, um, and we need all of the voices. We absolutely, we need diverse voices. We need to hear from people from different backgrounds and read different stories and fiction helps us gain empathy and learn about people but then people of faith also need to be in there and we need to not Mm. be afraid to tell the story of somebody who lives the way that we do i think
0: where where do you see that being done well or do you see that being done by by anyone authors uh, musicians uh, you know actors that have done that
1: actually i'm seeing it within within the catholic world actually i think a lot of times in the past when i looked for for christian fiction it would be i can't remember what this novel was and if i could i probably wouldn't tell you the title of it because that would not be fair but the characters were hitting each other over the heads with bible verses you know someone would say oh you know it's just like in proverbs 28 something something i needed like to reference like that's not how i talk you know i believe in the bible i believe in scripture but this is not how i live my life and it 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 felt like it was trying to be Christian and then it was trying to be a story. I want it to be Mm -hmm. a story first that happens to be Christian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's been the case for me for a lot of, um, you know, like with music, like I, you know, I, I enjoy Christian music and everything, but, um, you know, when I find an artist who is Catholic or Christian at heart and he's or she's writing secular music, but with those Catholic undertones, like I, I appreciate, I, I find those a little bit more relatable. Um,
1: I don't talk scripture all day to my no. kids or to my friends. I, We are whole people and the whole, all of us should be expressed like that. Um, so two places that I've found recently that do that, and I've been lucky enough to be published in these places, so excuse the plug, um, but Ever Eden is a literary journal um, that does, be- it's, it's all written by Catholic women, but the stories are not hit you over the head Catholic. Sometime, right. Sometimes a nun's gonna write something. Sometimes she's not going she's not always gonna be writing dis- explicitly about the Eucharist the entire time, but that sensibility and that worldview is behind it. Um, and there's also a podcast called Ruah Storytellers that's done Advent and Lent series. Um, and they had a short fiction series in February, flash fiction February, where every, every day a different woman is telling her story. Um, Mm. most of it was nonfiction fiction was mostly me, Um, (laughs) but a different voice every day. And sometimes those are more because they're in liturgical seasons speaking more directly to the faith. Um, but let's tell our stories from our worldview and have that be okay without the only way we can tell a Christian or a Catholic story is by quoting scripture and Aquinas at every other turn.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it can get a little exhausting, right? Um, so uh, again, another like pivot. Um, I want to jump into your podcast, Quote Me, right? Because um, one, I, I just I love the thought process behind it. Um, but it's the idea of a quote, right? Yeah. That um, now is it your guess or that, that they come across um, and that they want to just share that. Um, how, like, we're, again, just the idea behind this. Um, tell people about the genesis of, of Quote Me and, and how that got started.
1: Sure. So I start, only started listening to podcasts a few years ago. I didn't know what they were. Um, I, some of the technology things are hard. <laughs> you know, One of my best friends and I were on something the other night trying to watch a show together and she kept saying, I'm an elder millennial. I'm an elder millennial. I don't know how to do these things. So I got into podcasts and I found I really enjoyed them. I like to listen to them uh, when I'm in the car, either alone or with a child who cannot yet speak because <laughs> otherwise I get some I get some, fl- some slack for it. Um, I love listening to them i love hearing people's voices hearing their stories um being entertained Um, and last summer i was at the catholic marketing network conference and uh there was an editor there from ave maria press where both of our books have been published and we chatted a little bit and she said you should have a youtube channel or a podcast and i thought i don't know how to do my hair well enough to be on a youtube show so that's not gonna happen um i thought about a podcast a little bit And the next day there was a podcast panel and she walked me to it (laughs) and said you need to be here now um and so on the the drive home from the conference i thought about it more and more and this idea just came into my on my my instagram page i was already sharing quotes of just words that inspire me because this is this is who i am my love language is words of affirmation obviously i love the written word i love stories um and it occurred to me that maybe i could I wanted an idea for a show because I didn't know if it would work that either I could just talk on my on my own for 15 minutes or I could have people come in. Um, And I think I only did one or two episodes alone. And since then, I've done two seasons and have a slew of people I'm excited for for season three in the fall. Um, So we just talk about a quote that has affected their lives. Sometimes it's from a saint. Um, It can't be from the Bible because I think that's another show. it can be from a saint. We had one from food and wine magazine. We had one from a page a day calendar that totally changed this woman's point of view. She started a new business. She got more involved in the faith. I mean, amazing things can happen. And sometimes they're words that someone finds while well, they are a lot of the people I've interviewed are writers. So something they found while well researching um, or a book that they were reading in book club. Um, one of the best ones though, is uh, my first episodes. My friend Elena is, the sacred music director at our church, um, and she's a professional opera singer. And her quote was some, a line from Shakespeare that someone said to her, uh, like about her, um, when she was struggling with, uh, I don't know, a performance or a practice, though she'd be but small she is fierce. Um, I just think that's so beautiful that someone else's words from centuries ago, through someone else got to her, and and it changed something for her. I think a lot of words on social media are not really kind. Um, There's a lot of slinging things around and it's not very thoughtful. But when you choose our words really carefully, they can be really powerful and they can really challenge us or change us.
0: Mm. So what's a quote that um, has really shaped or challenged you? Uh,
1: There are a lot. I have a lot. Um, (laughs) Mm. I think one of my favorites comes from one of the books from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia Okay. I'm pretty sure it's the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, but I might be wrong. Um, and Lucy is asking Aslan about what's happening to one of the other characters. And he says to her, I can't tell. That's her story. And I can't tell you anyone else's story. I can only tell you your own.
0: Oh, man, that's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's out of genuine concern. It's not out of vain curiosity that she's asking. She legitimately wants to know. I think it's Susan. She wants to know if she's going to be okay. And she's... I'm not sure if I'm getting the characters right. But what he tells her is I can tell you your story and you can talk with me about yours Mm. and you can be part of her story, but I can't tell that to you. And I think in a world that compares a lot and in a world where we're not sure what our success or our value looks like, we can get caught up in looking for other people's stories and trying to make them our own. And that's not what God wants us to do.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is uh, also Chronicles of Narnia. It's from Prince Caspian where Lucy comes upon As and says, Aslan, you've gotten bigger, and, uh, yeah. he's, and, and he says, no, Lucy, I haven't gotten bigger, but, you know, your view of me has, and uh, I know I just butchered it, but um, just that whole idea of, like, that helped me a lot in my faith, because it was just kind of like, I was like, oh my gosh, right, you know, as we grow up, uh, so does our view of God have to grow up. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'm a, you know, 39 year old male with a eight year old version view of God, and that's not healthy and that's not helpful. And so I've got to, I've got to feed that and grow that for sure. For sure. As a writer, as a mom, as a, as a wife, as just a person, it seems like you got a lot of spinning plates going on and everything. How do you, how do you manage it without, um, you know, resenting one, or is it a kind of, uh, you know, a a balancing game, a a juggling game, like how how do you uh, manage to continue to create um, while also taking responsibility for some of these other things in your life?
1: It's a balancing act and it's um, a very constant conversation with my husband about um, our time and the resource of our time. Um, How are we using it? Where do I need to be? What can he do? um we also live with my in-laws we live with john's parents his father's homebound um but his mother is very able um and loves caring for the kids so she um she will watch them often when we need um, when we need a little time to work um and as the kids are getting older and they're in school more i do have more time to do those things mm. um i mean in 11 weeks that will be different but currently <laughs> that's
0: currently like, right right
1: um and there are definitely times when i take on too much And I get stressed out and I stay up too late and I don't go to bed like my father is telling me to, and there are repercussions for the whole family. And I'm aware of those more and more and trying to um, not put what I want to do ahead of what other people want to do. But Mm -hmm. I think again, because what I'm doing is largely in Catholic circles um, in the last year or so I've started to see that it is a ministry and I wasn't thinking of it that way before. So that helps guide what I choose to take on um, and what, I have to pass up
0: yeah and and what I love what you said there is is this awareness right um, I think when we get into trouble is when we don't have the awareness that we've crossed that line um, that we've done you know that we've done something that we shouldn't have because when we have that awareness we can we can repent we can retract we can go back we can correct but when we um, yeah when, when we lose sight of that that's where we easily slide off the side of the road and you know a lot of these things that you've just you know, mentioned through our conversation, like the writer's group or different groups of people to hold you accountable. Uh, the fact that you have these constant conversations with your husband, I know those are key in our household that my wife and I we are just constantly talking about like, where are you? How are you doing? Things yeah. like those lines. And then also um, the more important part, well, not the more, another important part is this idea of just filling up your cup, right? Because as a content creator, as a writer, as a producer, as an artist, it's so easy to pour out, but if you don't pour into yourself in some kind of capacity, whether that's spiritually, creatively, intellectually, like however you see it, then you're gonna run out and you're gonna pitter out and you're gonna burn out. And so I think like, um, again, just just through this conversation, it's it's just awesome to hear how, you know, your writing is a ministry because um, one, you're fueling other people, but just even in the way that you're approaching your writing um, I know as, as a parish minister, I'm like listening to this. I'm like, okay, how am I, you know, surrounding myself with that support? How am I giving myself these outlets and balancing these different things? So that, that's key. And, and, and Lindsay, I just want to thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, as we kind of, as we close out here, um, there are just a couple of traditional questions I like to ask my guests um, a little outside the box. So okay. as, as you being uh, probably one of my more creative guests, Um, I, am interested into your, your answers to these. So the first question is if, um, you know, you could put, um, any message out there on, on Twitter, right? So, you know, whether it's 140 or 280 characters, I I won't count them, but there was one message that you could put out there on Twitter or, um, that wasn't, you know, self-promotion about a product or anything like that, but it was just the message that you wanted the world to hear. Um, and it was your last tweet uh, what would that message be?
1: If you want to have it all in your life, you need to ask God what He wants from you.
0: Awesome, awesome. Uh, and, and that's just to remind people, I guess, to to just have that faith, right? To to just rely that God will will answer your prayers and that He's listening, right?
1: Yeah, and even making decisions about um, everything from your your career and and your. Uh, whether or not to get married and your family size and all these things that I think are the big adult decisions. If you're trying to make them by yourself, it's going to be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you let God into that conversation and if you have a consistent conversation with him so that you know that the voice that you're hearing is his and not yours saying, Hey God, here's my plan. Can you please like do your spiritual rubber stamp on this? Then you're ultimately going to end up, I think, joyful and peaceful.
0: Awesome. Um, And, and, uh, you know, again, this will be interesting as as a writer outside your own book. Is there a book or um, a a novel or uh, um, some kind of written word that you've shared the most um, with people over the last year or in your life?
1: Over the last year. Shoot, that's hard. I do go back to the return of the prodigal son a lot because I think we all need that. Um, there is a fiction writer. I'm not sure I can say her last name, right. Catherine Rie and she writes kind of the rom-commy kind of books that I want to read. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. explicitly Catholic or Christian they're largely rooted in like Jane Austen novels and things like that. Um, but they're just fun, light, easy reads. Um, that, and there's something else that I'm going to remember right when we're done with this.
0: Uh, hey, and that, that's not a problem. We can always put that in the show notes. So, um, no, the, the, uh, uh, yeah, Catherine Rie, I think that's how you say it. Um, I, I've, I've heard of her before. That, that's awesome. Um, and the last question is, if you had one super uh, human power that you could use to um, impact the world for, for the good of God, what would that be?
1: Oh, I thought you were just going to say superpower.
0: Well, superpower, uh, superpower. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Impact your world for the good of God. <sighs> I still think I would fly.
0: Okay. All
1: right. Um, Cause I could get places faster. Um, you know, and if someone needed me, I could be there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Hey, that's good. You know, probably one of my favorite answers to that question is a good friend of mine, Kristen Fisher. And she, um, she works with middle school students. She said she would be the deodorizer um, mm-hmm. and have this ability to walk into rooms and deodorize, especially teenage boys, um, you know, without issue. And I was like, that's, that's pretty good.
1: If you so, ask me in two or three years, I'm going to change that to my yeah, answer.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably, so probably. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, well, Lindsay, um, thanks again for uh, being on the show. Uh, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate uh, just the different threads that occurred throughout it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, looking forward to future conversations as well.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: We thank you for listening to this episode of the YM Transfer Podcast. And if this is something you enjoyed, we encourage you to go to our iTunes page to leave a review and to know that you can subscribe at iTunes or anywhere else this podcast can be heard. And of course, you can go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com to hear past episodes. And lastly, we encourage you, of course, share this with your friends, your families, your coworker, anyone else you know who might benefit from this podcast. We would be eternally grateful. Thank you.